1: Hello there, Libby is on vacation this week. I'll be joining you through Friday. So did you gasp when you heard the latest daily case count of COVID-19 in Ontario? 700 new cases. That is a pandemic daily high for this province. Of the 700, there are 344 in Toronto, 104 in Peel Region, 89 in Ottawa, and 56 in York Region. 60% of today's cases are in people under the age of 40. At the same time, There is a growing number of cases in Ontario's long-term care homes. There are now 40 second-wave outbreaks in Ontario nursing homes, and we're learning, as Bob mentioned there in his news, that one of the homes in Ottawa, 13 people have died. Are we getting ready for a repeat of the spring? I want to hear from those of you who've been visiting loved ones in nursing homes since restrictions were lifted. Are you seeing any measures being taken to prevent another tragic loss of life? 416-360-0740 or toll-free 866 744, 740. Have you been visiting the nursing homes? Were you one of the many loved ones who had to wait for at least a couple of months before seeing in person, physically, your loved one in a nursing home? And have you seen any positive changes while you've been in, perhaps as a caregiver, uh, since the middle of June when that's been allowed? We'd like to hear about your experiences. Again, the numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. I want to get to our Zoomer squad now for their takes on the escalating numbers, not just across Ontario, but in nursing homes as well. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. And Peter Muggridge, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine. David Kravitz is off for today. Bill, Peter, good afternoon. Hey, Jane.
2: Hi, good to be here.
1: Bill, I'll start with you. Your reaction to the growing number of nursing home outbreaks in Ontario?
2: Oh, really, really uh, disappointing and 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 hard to take and and understand that. Uh, the obviously, we're still not learning. Uh, six months into this uh, whole uh, pandemic, and uh, things are still getting getting worse. CARP is really uh, concerned about it. In fact, we're going to be talking more about it. We've got our our National Seniors Day event coming up on Thursday. Uh, and we're doing a webinar for our members right across the country at one o'clock. And we're going to be talking specifically about how we can protect our vulnerable older people uh, and do it now, not wait till another. We have to have another pandemic come along.
1: I will get the details uh, for our listeners on that later in our segment here, Bill. I'll give people an opportunity to get a pen and paper so they can copy down the details on the Seniors Day event on Thursday. Um But first, I'll go over to Peter and on the topic of nursing homes, the award-winning story by Alex Roslin on the pandemic's deadly invasion of seniors' homes in the July-August issue of Zoomer Magazine. Peter uh, details very much what has happened and what could happen again and the fact that it wasn't all that much of a surprise that COVID-19 just was such a deadly force in nursing homes during the spring.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, Alex uh, wrote a tremendous piece and and he wrote it right in the midst of the first wave. So he he did a lot of uh, digging with uh, families who'd been affected and spoke to politicians and spoke to uh, stakeholders and carp and and he, he did a fabulous piece and, and basically um, it looks like uh, it could all happen again you know if the, if these cases keep spiraling out of control and it doesn 't look like um, the province responded quickly enough to put in changes into long term care home like staffing increases or um, protective equipment or infection control procedures. And, uh, I, you know, I hope we're not repeating what uh, Alex researched the first time around.
1: Well, he calls it Canada's hidden shame and how COVID-19 exposed years of systemic neglect in long-term care. Uh, tell us a little bit about that systemic neglect. He references uh, the deadly fire in Quebec where there were close to two dozen people killed and the killer nurse of course elizabeth wetlawfer was allowed to conduct her murders
3: yeah and and he he's he's um sort of building off those both those stories where um you know tragedies occurred um and nothing was put in place we have, we had an inquiry on elizabeth Wetlaufer, but i think i read somewhere that only 3 of the um recommendations were adopted so far out of, I don't know how many, but, um, so it's just basically the situation is there. Um, uh, you know, no politician is unaware that it's there. No politician uh, has acted to uh, change it. And, um, you know, um, hopefully this won't be a bad wave, but, um, you know, we're, we're in the exact same situation as we were, Going into the spring,
1: Bill has carp CARP received any information that would uh, um, that would give us the impression that there has been some change made since the spring? Positive change, you know, in in terms of how uh, the system could be improved for long term care.
2: No, CARP hasn't uh, received any information that says there's been any real change. Lots of promises, lots of talk. But back at at that time, uh, as the article says, uh, uh, Marissa Lennox uh, talked about the need to improve the facilities, uh, infection control, inspections, uh, staffing especially. and, and staffing is one area where they could have acted, uh, and they must act right away because what we're now hearing is that staff who, who worked through the first uh, wave of the uh, pandemic are now just totally worn out. And many of them are saying, I'm just not going to do this again. And it means increased staffing. And that just doesn't need a few more dollars in people's paycheck. They've gone by that. In fact, what CARP is urging now is the government take a whole new approach and looking at home care and community care instead of these large hospital-like uh, homes. That's obviously the, the best answer uh, now. There's got to be better access to care in the community in their own home uh, before we're going to really be able to put a stop to this and stop putting so many people in this big uncontrolled facility.
1: We'll get to the phones now. And I do want to hear from you if you've been in the nursing homes uh, since they've allowed loved ones and caregivers to go back inside in the middle of June. Have you seen any positive steps uh, toward being able to fight a second wave of COVID-19? Or is it status quo? What are you hearing from the workers? Because certainly when you do have a loved one in long-term care or or in a retirement home, certainly you forge relationships with the staff members. So the family and the staff becomes fr- become friends because they are looking after the same individuals uh, whose livelihood is um, paramount for both the staff members and the family members. 416-3600740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Cheryl in Mississauga, you're first on Fight Back today. What would you like to add? Oh, thanks for taking my
4: call. I am very concerned about the raise, the, the, uh, numbers of the cases going up. 700 today. I put this right on the back of Doug Ford. I don't think he had the backbone to do the heavy lifting in the first place. And he keeps wimping out. And now we're going to pay the price. I have just come through seven months of cancer treatment. I've been very careful. My grandson's flying in from B.C. I won't be able to see him now because I can't take that risk. Our kids are in school without social distancing. This is just a nightmare. And Doug Ford and his government are not doing a whole bunch to make it stop. I'm doing all my stuff. I bet you're doing all yours, but there's a whole bunch of people that aren't. Why do bars have to stay open till eleven o'clock at night, then kick the people out by twelve so they can drink for another hour on the other six they just ordered to last
1: them an hour. And I will ask our Zoomer squad about that about putting greater restrictions on bars and restaurants late at night. i I do want to before I say goodbye to you ask how your treatment is going have you been are you Have you caught up with your treatments?
4: I'm finished now, so they're going to just watch me. They're going to keep keep me going uh, for the next five years, so I'm finished now. But I, I have to be here because my daughter broke her foot, so I have to help her. So, you know, the kids now are not going to be able to play with their four little friends, and the schools are going to get shut down again, and it's just an absolute nightmare. I just want to cry.
1: Yeah, I think That's we all, all we all feel do. like that. And
4: for long-term care, I said to my family, don't ever put me there. Just kill me. Because I don't believe I'd like to, but I don't believe that this is really going to change much because so far
1: it hasn't. Cheryl, thank you for your call. We really appreciate it and wish you all the best with your health. Uh, Bill, what Cheryl just said there, don't put me in long-term care, kill me first. Uh, What kind of state of affairs are we in when that's the way we think about nursing homes?
2: And we're hearing that a lot. From uh, from from people and, and 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 they're right. Being put into a huge institution with multi with multi floors and and large numbers of people just isn't the way. It's, I mean, we're we're the only country in the OECD that's still building that kind of uh, facility. When people do need more medical care than they can get at home in a in a community setting, what we need are more smaller uh, facilities all on the same floor with dedicated staff and and controlled uh, numbers. But uh, all we've seen the government is putting money into adding to these huge uh, long-term facilities where it just isn't working. So people are saying, I, and we know, I mean, when we did a survey at CARP, 90% of the respondents said they wanted to stay at home. Of course, people want to stay at home as long as they as they can, uh, but they can't if they can't get the local health care that they, they need. 20% of the people who are in long-term care facilities don't have to be there. And if they could get the kind of care they need in their community, they wouldn't be in long-term care to begin with.
1: Peter, I'm sure that that's on the radar at everything Zoomer.com and Zoomer Magazine about home care and maybe uh, the need to put more emphasis on that rather than in bricks-and-mortar buildings where we put our elderly.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's been, um, I mean, Bill, Bill will remember the CARP um, home care report way back when, Bill, when, when was it? It was in, like, 2010 or something or even even longer yeah so carp introduced home care really to the the word home care to the nation and and made a big um you know made national headlines saying the the home care um system is failing caregivers and and uh, patients and it certainly was back then and to this day you know i i'm, I'm certain um improvements have been made but not enough to um to solve the, uh, the dire situation going on in nursing homes right now.
1: We're with our Zoomer squad as we are every Monday. David Kravitz is off today, but on the line we've got Peter Muggridge, senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, along with the acting chief policy officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, and Jane here for Libby, along with your phone calls. Let's go to Debbie in Hamilton. Hi, Debbie. You worked in long term care.
5: Uh, I still do, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working in long-term care for almost 20 years now, and uh, it's people would be appalled at what goes on in the day-to-day operations. Um, and as far as the COVID is concerned, there's been no changes in in our home. As far as uh, more staff, they've hired more, but they can't keep up with the demand. As soon as they bring New people in, people are leaving, moving on to better jobs that uh, pay more. And that's part of the problem, too, is ours is one of the lower, uh, on the lower end of the spectrum for uh, paying employees. So people use our place as a stepping stone for
1: Uh, uh, a job that pays more. uh, Debbie, are you a PSW, a nurse? No, I work in the dietary department. Oh, I see.
5: Um, So... We're involved with, you know, hands-on with uh, the residents uh, during meal service and for nutrition uh, aspects as well.
1: So you, you, in terms of exhaustion and, and, and the mental stress that the workers in long-term care are going through, can you give us some idea of, of how that's going?
5: Uh, well, people are exhausted and, quite frankly, just fed up that things haven't improved, and uh, there just seems to be no end in sight. Uh, when we think we're we're gaining a little, more work is put on us as far as, especially with the COVID, with more cleaning protocols, but no extra time in which to do it, and uh, no extra hands on deck to get the job done. So what ultimately happens is people end up shortcutting their day from the moment they start until the moment they leave. It's just a shortcut version of what should be done and it's all at the expense of the residents. And our co-workers.
1: Yes, uh, I can imagine. Uh, You're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Debbie from Hamilton on the line. So you're not seeing anything concrete in terms of extra help or taking the load off for those of you who are employed at your particular home? Uh,
5: No, we did have some extra help uh, at the height of the pandemic, uh, probably May and June. And then early July, it all went away. And so what, um, what became the new normal, uh, became our responsibility to get it done. And people just can't do it. So it's a matter of, uh, uh, finding a way to get what you can done. So we do our best, mm-hmm. but ultimately our best isn't good enough. Um, and it hasn't been. For years, And this just compiles everything with, with COVID.
1: Debbie, thanks for taking the time to call. No problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bill, I'll get your reaction to what Debbie's saying there. There's somebody firsthand who knows what it's like to work day in and day out at a nursing home.
2: Absolutely. And it's so sad. And, you know, when, when we at CART talk about uh, the way things really are, sometimes... Uh, People will say, well, that's what you do. do you, how do you really know what's going on? And that, that's how we know when people like Debbie who are working right in those situations are telling us nothing has changed. In fact, for them, with the extra work that's on them, it's become even worse since this all all began. So so you asked me earlier, has anything really been done to, to uh, fix what's happening in
1: long-term care homes and COVID?
2: No, it hasn't. And Debbie is. Unfortunately, just a, a really sad example of that.
1: Before we change topics here with our Zoomer squad, Peter, any final words on on where we're at right now with long-term care that we're hearing of 40 second wave outbreaks with 700 new cases today across the province?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, first off, I, I'd like to extend my congratulations to Debbie and, and to all the uh, PSWs and dietitians and nurses in long-term care. They They have a thankless job and uh and i i've seen them in action and they work hard and uh under really trying circumstances so so big uh, congratulations to debbie um the the one the one bright thing i can think of and bill you can correct me if i'm wrong here is that um in in all the statements i've seen um concerning a second wave it looks like instead of locking the homes down they are going to allow family caregivers to keep coming in and, and I think that's a big step which will help, um, not only families, but also the Debbie's of the world who are so over,
2: uh, overtasked. You know, Bill, is, do you, are you, are you seeing the same yeah. thing, Bill? Yes, I'm, yeah yes I I'm hearing that and the increased testing that's now going to be available through pharmacies and others means that those people can get the tests more quickly than they could before so they can confidently uh, go in and work which was right. the problem before so it's so,
3: not, yeah. not going to be a complete lockdown like it was last time you don't you don't exactly. see that happening right right well,
1: you bring up the, the next topic there, Bill, about the testing in the pharmacies. I'm curious, uh, for those of you listening, have you gone for a test yet? Are you asymptomatic but think you may have been exposed to COVID-19? Have you called in? Have you gone for a test at one of the 60 pharmacies, which right now is offering them? And what was your experience? So there won't be too many of us who've had this experience, but if you are listening and you you don't mind telling us how it went, we would love to hear how that experience was. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Bill and Peter, the news about testing and pharmacies came out after our last uh, Zoomer Squad conversation. Uh, Any impressions now that we're a few days into it? We've certainly been reassured by people like pharmacist John Papasturgio that you don't have to worry if you're in the pharmacy that you might contracted from somebody who's lining up. Um, Bill, I'll start with you.
2: Yes, they, they really seem to have thought this uh, through. And this is the pharmacies and the pharmacy organizations them, themselves. And they've been following the uh, uh, the, uh results of what's happened in other provinces where it's happened so i've got some confidence that uh, this will be done uh, will be done well and will be held safely in terms of what happens in the pharmacies themselves where there's still a question is how long will it take people to get the results back? We're hearing as long as uh, four days or more. And for people who need the the test now so they can do things like visit family uh, in long-term care facilities, that's a long turnaround time. And we've got to hope that they'll increase the uh, the speed that they can get results so it'll be worthwhile.
1: Peter, your thoughts on the pharmacies and testing?
3: Well, you know, it had to be done, Jane, because, um, I, I, I walked by one of the testing sites, uh, last Saturday, and, um, if it was a six hour wait, I, I, I'd probably be underestimating it. The lineup went right around blocks and blocks by the hospital, and, uh, so something has to be done to take the stress off the testing centers, and, um, hopefully it'll, it'll, uh, play out that way, but, a four-day lag in results is, is really too long. I, I, I think they have to do something about that. I, I don't know what it all involves. It probably has to be go to a lab and then checked and then double-checked and then sent back. So um, I'm not sure what the lag is, but that certainly needs addressing. A four-day lag is not uh, optimal.
1: And yet, uh, the pharmacies—they seem to be playing bill a bigger and bigger role in healthcare with the rollout of the high dose flu vaccine, which will be coming to pharmacies now. COVID nineteen testing—what uh, what are your thoughts about uh, pharmacy becoming that much uh, of a uh, of a, a player in the healthcare scene?
2: Right. Well, they they certainly are, and of course, the 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 Shingrix the vaccine uh, also going to be available. You know. I spent uh, 20 years as CEO of the Lung Association. And in those days, I learned that, that more and more it is the pharmacies where people are getting their uh, their medical information and their support. So I'm very pleased to see this uh Happening, Pharmacies are augmenting physicians for many uh, uh, services and uh, often have more time to, to talk, to explain, to work uh, with them. So, uh, And, and the, the ability of people to walk in or to make an appointment and visit their, their local pharmacy is really adding a whole new level to the system. And we're very supportive of that uh, happening and hope it continues in other areas, uh, too.
1: Uh, We've heard in recent days about the restrictions on bars and restaurants so that uh, people are shuttled out by midnight. The last drink is served uh, at 11 o'clock across the province. Strip clubs have been closed down. Uh, In both of your opinions, do we need to go further with more restrictions or go back in time a little bit since we are looking today at 700 new cases? Uh, Peter, what about you?
3: Uh you know, I I don't know what the answer to that is, Jane. I, I just know that these um, these restaurant and bar owners are right up to their limit. They've maxed out all their credit cards. They've uh, you know they've borrowed from the um, emergency uh, loan from the government. They've used up all their uh, they've used up all their savings, and uh, I I don't think they can afford another shutdown or even a tightening of restrictions. They they're only thirty percent full now inside. They need to maintain at least that to pay their landlords you know yes. and uh and uh so unless the government comes in with a with a huge new program of of business support which they alluded to in the throne speech but didn't spell out um i i'm i don't know these these restrictions are gonna a, a second round of tight restrictions are really gonna hurt
2: uh restaurants and bars
1: bill your thoughts
2: Oh, well, it's a huge dilemma as peter says the the uh, businesses need to keep going if they don't i've seen figures this week where uh, there's a prediction that over 40% of the restaurants and other food service uh, activities now existing won't exist after covid so they're in a terrible position but then you look at the numbers you see the majority of people who are now contracting covid are the uh, of the age group that tend to frequent uh, these places. And if you look at the, the photographs that we've uh, seen in the paper and on TV, it is a younger generation. So I think what we're, we're saying is it can't be all on the government and the restaurant owners. We're saying to the public uh, in, in general, think of what you're doing. Don't Uh, congregate. Don't go to these places where you can't uh, self-distance and be a part of the uh, uh, solution because uh, otherwise what you're going to do is forever ruin your opportunity to have a good choice where you will be able to recreate when uh, COVID is over. So let's individually take this issue on ourselves and our friends and do something about it.
1: Right. And in the same way, we want to protect the workers in nursing homes and retirement homes. We want to protect the service workers as well, who are primarily under the age of 40, working as servers and bartenders and in retail. And they are the ones who are serving the customers and effectively putting their own health at risk by working because they have no other choice but to work.
2: Uh, Bill, they seem to be the forgotten ones in yeah. this in this whole uh, discussion. It's not often someone brings up that point, as you have, Gene, uh, and it's, it's so true. There's a, another whole segment there that are at the mercy of people who aren't following the rules.
1: Yeah. Um, before I say so long to my Zoomer squad friends uh, for another week, uh, Bill, you emailed me with some good news this morning, which is a win for CARP. And why don't you tell us about it?
2: Well, this is something CARP's been advocating for years. Uh, The federal government uh, says uh, it's going to introduce a free automatic tax filing system for simple returns. So that means the the, uh, thousands of low uh, or fixed income uh, seniors uh, that often missed out on other benefits because they didn't file an annual tax return are now going to be able to Easily get those, uh, get, get those supports when they need it. The CRA will do the paperwork for them. It'll automatically happen. And we know that uh, as many as 12% of the people who should be getting supports that everybody else in their age group is getting aren't getting them these days. So this is good news and uh, hopefully, uh, uh, it's it's underway right now. We'll see this happen in months, uh, not uh, years. And
1: just to follow up on that, Bill, so what kinds of benefits would people maybe on fixed incomes be missing out on?
2: Well, they could be uh, they could be mi- missing out on the on the uh, top ups they they get for. Uh, for, uh, OA, uh, for their uh, OAS, uh, uh, they could even be missing out on getting uh, uh, CPP payments if they're, uh, if they're available. There are many um, low and fixed income uh, uh, people who don't get any of those extra amounts because they've, they've never uh, filed a tax return, so they're invisible to the way it's been done before.
1: Uh, give us um, a little bit of a preview again of what's going to be happening on Thursday on National Seniors Day.
2: Yes, National Seniors Day is this Thursday, October 1st at uh, at uh, 1 p.m. Ontario time. There's going to be a, a national webinar. We already have uh, over 3,000 people taking uh, part and it's growing. You can get information by going to our website, CARP ca and uh, we have uh, on that program we'll have the prime minister we'll have the uh, the federal minister of seniors uh, deb schultz will be talking about our long-term care advocacy and following the 45-minute national uh, production then regionally uh, so here in ontario we're going to have uh, our own Ontario focused discussion on what we can do about fixing long-term care, uh, adding uh, home care, and making our province a better place to live.
1: Wonderful. Carp.ca and Peter, PeterEverythingZoomer.com Some of the articles that are happening there right now, I, I saw something that I need to go back and read about um, aging in the presidential election campaign. Looks like an intriguing article. Yeah,
3: and, and very timely with the debate coming up uh, tomorrow night. So um, uh, our, our writer takes a look at, um, you know, age and um, how, how it affects politicians and whether it's a detriment to their uh, eventual uh, leadership.
1: Yeah, Fascinating. Thank mm-hmm. you both. Thanks, Jane. Great discussion. Thank you, Jane. Bill Van Gorder, Acting Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine.